Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our Sunday morning service. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. It was awesome, awesome worship today. I forgot to mention one thing. In your bulletin, you'll find a connection card. If you have a prayer request, if there is any way that we can serve you, please fill those out and drop them in the offering baskets as you leave this morning. It's just a way that we can bless you. Now, I think most folks know that we have a children's ministry, and we're going to release our children ages four through grade eight to go down the center aisle to our children's ministry wing. We have classes for all of them, and it's just a blessing for them. I mentioned earlier that we have a special guest speaker today, and and I'm just uh, thrilled that uh, Scott Rideout has come to be with us this weekend. He's been uh, teaching pastors. He's been meeting with our leaders, and uh, he blessed us at the first service, and I know he's going to bless us at the second service. Uh, Scott is the president of our movement of churches called Converge. It's also known as the Baptist General Conference. Uh, Before before Scott was the pastor, uh, the president of Converge, he was a pastor, and he's pastored uh, churches uh, on the East Coast and in the Midwest, in the West Coast. And uh, he was at a church in Gilbert, Arizona. And he led that church from around the size of 200 up to 5,000. So he's, he knows what it's like to be in a church that's growing. And, and he has incredible wisdom from Scripture for Christ followers and for leaders. And I've been blessed to uh, be under his leadership. I was on the board of overseers with him for a while, and I'm just thrilled to know him. And I'll tell you, every time uh, Scott speaks, I learn something. And so we're thrilled to have him here today. So please uh, give Scott a warm Valley Brook welcome. Thank you. Well, good morning, Valley Brook. It's great to be with you, and it's my privilege to be up here, especially since I'm from Florida, where it's like 95 degrees and 100% humidity. Uh, Thank you for beautiful days up here, and I'm excited about possibly going on a hike with Clark this afternoon. Uh, And so we're, again, thank you for the opportunity to come and and be with you. Um, Can I brag on your pastor for a moment? Is that all right? I just want to say a thank you to Clark and Cynthia for their involvement, not just in this church, but whether you realize it or not, Valleybrook's making a difference around the country and around the world. Uh, Clark's been on, my, uh, on the leadership team, on the, on the overseer's board, and uh, he's, uh, he's a great leader. And, and what, I, what I love about Clark is he's, uh, he's just so, he's so steady. He loves Jesus, he loves the church, and he loves you. And, and that's all you want in a leader. He just, he just loves, he loves Jesus. He's trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus daily. And Cynthia is a prayer warrior and very spirit-led in her life as well. I'm just so grateful uh, to, to call them friends and to call them part of the movement that we have. So thank you so much for allowing me to come in and talk to this congregation. Thank you. I wanna take you today to a very, uh, probably if you're in church for a long time, a very familiar passage. But I wanna talk about a familiar pattern that I see in this passage, I see all through the Bible. Jesus and his disciples had this uh, had this pattern. And the apostles, when they started the early church, had this pattern. And Paul, when he's planting churches around the world, he has this, has this pattern. And I see this pattern in the church today. And it kind of goes like, it's real simple. One team, one dream, one moment in time. One team, one dream, one moment in time. Say that with me. One team, one dream, one moment in time. The Bible teaches that the church is one team. 
There's not thousands of churches around the world. There's only one church, and it belongs to Jesus Christ. We're all together. Jesus in John 17 prayed that we would be one. Uh, Paul writes it this way in, in chapter 2 of Philippians. He says, I'll pray that they'll be united in spirit, that, and that people will know we're Christians by our, our love for one another, that we work together. There's hundreds of ones and others in the Bible saying, do this and do that, and make sure you're together. The great thing about a team is the team always accomplishes more than an individual. Just like a team of churches always accomplishes more than an individual church. That's why Valleybrook's a part of an association of churches around here that all work together to help people meet and know and follow Jesus. A team will always outthink the individual. They'll always outlast the individual. And they'll always outperform the individual. And here's how we say it in Converge. We're better together. We're better together. As the churches work together, as individuals work together, we're just, we're just better together. One team. And then there's one, one dream. The dream of the church is to help people meet and know and follow Jesus. And if you're at Valley Brook and you don't know, yet know Jesus, we're so glad you're here this morning with us. I'm sure there's some people that want to talk to you about it, what it means, and help you take your, your next step there. We want to help people meet and know and, and, and follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus didn't just pray that we be unified. I mean, unity is a great thing. It's great to be unified. But you realize in the Bible, unity is never just for unity's sake. It was always to be on the mission of Jesus. Jesus prayed that they may be one so that the world would know. Paul, when he wrote in Philippians 2, he said, I pray that they be united in spirit and intent on one purpose. It's not just to gather together and do something together. It's to be on mission for Jesus. One team, one dream, and then there's one moment in time. There's always a moment in time in the life of a team where it gets hard. Uh, maybe you as a church have had some hard times and you've had to battle through those and trust Jesus during those hard times. There's always a hard time. There's always a barrier. There's always a blockade. There's always something that's standing in the way from where we are to where we need to be, where God wants us to be. And we have to plow through that with great faith. It's a time when our faith's gonna be tested. You know, for some of you, not even as a church, but as a family, right now your faith's being tested. There's some things going on in your marriage or with your kids and you're like, God, what is, what is happening here? Or maybe it's your, your health and it's just, it's not where you need to be. Or maybe it's your finances and it's just been rough, you know. But hear this, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. We, we, we've, got to, we've got to trust God. And, and when your faith gets tested, you're going to get stronger. You're going to see that God is bigger than you ever thought he was. And so over and over and over in the Bible, we see these scenarios where, where this team comes together, they have a dream, but there's, a, there's something blocking the way and they have to learn to trust God in that moment. So let's learn from these guys in Mark chapter two. Turn to Mark chapter two. It's a rather familiar story. Uh, it's the story of the paralytic. How many of you ever heard the story of the paralytic from, from the Bible? A lot, of you, a lot of you had. Let me tell you what's happened. In chapter one of Mark, Jesus has begun his ministry and things are going gangbusters. Things are going really, really great. He, he's, uh, he's chosen his disciples. He's gone and he's touched a leper, which you never do. He touched a leper and the leper was healed. He's cast out demons. He's taught in all different places. People are following from everywhere. He's trending on Twitter. I mean, he's got all sorts of uh, first, uh, Facebook friends. I mean, okay, some of you are older. Just ask the person beside you who's a teenager what that means. So, uh, but there, things are happening. Jesus is popular. It, it's a great moment. It's a really great moment. Here's what it says in chapter two, verse, verse one. And when Jesus, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word 
to them. So Jesus has been traveling around doing ministry. He's been all over the place, and he, he finds himself back at Capernaum. He's from Nazareth, but his headquarters is Capernaum. It's on the, it's on the, on the trade route from east to west, and so it's a great place for him to be, and everyone goes through there, and, and he's, he's there, and he's, he's trying to raise his disciples, and so here's what's so great about Jesus. When he's choosing people to follow him, when he's gonna build the church from scratch, he goes out and gets the guys from Deadliest Catch and has them come in and say, if I can make disciples of you, I can make disciples of anybody. Now, that should give you encouragement, gives me encouragement that I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to be perfect. J Jesus used ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Some of you are new here at Valley Brook and you came looking for a, a perfect church. And by the way, if you came here looking for the perfect church, you didn't find it. You found a great church, but you didn't find a perfect church. And by the way, if you're looking for the perfect pastor, you definitely didn't find that. <laughs> and if you are really looking for the perfect church, uh, if you ever find it, don't go there, because you'll ruin it. <laughs> there, there are no perfect people. There are no perfect, uh, uh, you know, perfect churches. What we do is look at our perfect Savior and try to try to follow him with all our heart and soul and, and mind and, and strength. So here's, here's Jesus coming back to town and, and people, people from everywhere, people from everywhere are, are saying, hey, the Jesus is home. And so they're, they're crowding around him. All sorts of great things are, are happening. And, and, I, and I don't want us to miss the moment because sometimes we do, we're in a modern culture and having crowds around is just, it's just part of the scene. And you know, if you've ever been to a rock concert, if you've ever been to you know, seeing a famous person come through and just everyone crowds around them and, I want to remind you that there was no, there was no internet back then. There were no newspapers. Uh, there was no TV or media or things like that. There wasn't anything like that. It was just word of mouth. It was ordinary people saying, I found this guy who told me everything that I ever did. Could he be the Christ? I found this guy and I had this sickness. I had this disease. I had this problem. I had this issue. I had this trouble. And, and Jesus, Jesus just turned it around. He turned it around for me. We get so underwhelmed by Jesus these days. But in this time, 2,000 years ago, the people of Israel are, are under oppression. They're occupied by a foreign power. The Romans are there. And it's a really, really hard time. Disease is rampant. Jobs are scarce. It's a hard, hard time. In the midst of this comes this, this light of hope. He comes in and he gives them hope, he gives them help, he gives them healing, he gives them life. Jesus changes everything. He did it back then and he still does it today. Think about your own life, where you were and where you were headed and then you found Jesus and, and it was like a turnaround. We were singing earlier about, uh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Some of us are slaves to fear because we're so afraid and, and yet we're not a people of fear, we're, we're a people of faith. And we trust Jesus to get us through whatever it is we're going through. Some of us feel like, okay, we, we need a new season of life. We just sang about this new season. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Jesus changes everything. And people are trying to, to find Jesus and they're looking for Jesus all around us. There are people up here in New England, there are people down in Florida, there's people all around the country, all around the world who, who want to experience new life in Jesus because they've been trying it their own way and doing their own thing and it's just not working. And Jesus can come in and just change, change everything for them. Last fall, I was at a meeting in Minneapolis. I was gathering with a bunch of other organizations. Converge is one of about 60 or 70 organizations that are part of a group called the Global Alliance for Church 
multiplication, the G-A-C-X for multiply, multiplication. And our goal in 2011 when we started getting together was this, we wanted to start five million new churches by 2020. I mean, that's an audacious goal, isn't it? Five million new churches. Just so you know, there were only five million churches in the world at that time. We wanted to double the number of churches in the world. And we weren't gonna double it here in the States, we're gonna double it all around the world where people don't have the opportunity to go to, go to church. And so we were looking at foreign lands and foreign places, and so uh, God's been real gracious to us. We were celebrating because over, since 2011 until 2015, we had started 699,512 churches together. 700,000 churches together. And on top of that, our partners had, had done another 700,000, so 1.4 million churches have been started since 2011. I mean, God is working in, in amazing ways. And so I was there at that meeting, and I got to meet our, our, our guy who runs our ministry in northern India. His name is Shiva. And I'd heard this story, but I said, Shiva, tell me the story about your dad. He said, oh, it's just a great story. And so his father is 81 years old. He's been a Hindu priest for over 50 years. I mean, he's not a believer and no, has no interest in, in being, becoming a believer at all. In fact, Shiva had shared Christ with them 19 times. I mean, can you imagine just sharing once with your dad? <laughs> 19 times. He's so concerned about where his father's gonna be for eternity. He's shared with him 19 times. And my friend David was with him. And he said, David, I have shared 19 times with my dad. Would you be willing to share your faith with my father? I, he says, because I think number 20 is gonna, gonna do it. Number 20 is gonna be the one. And David's like, do you know how many barriers there are here? I mean, there's a cultural barrier. There's a language barrier. But... David said, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever you think I should do. And so David uh, shares very simply, like, like sharing with a child what it means to, to, to know Christ, that Christ died on the cross for our sins, that we couldn't, we couldn't make our way to God on our own. See, here, here's the picture of, of religion and Christianity and how they're different. Uh, Christianity is not a religion, nor is it the absence of religious devotion. It's, it's something different. See, religion says this. It says that God is over here and we're over here. And religion is all about trying to figure out how to work our way to God. How can we earn it? How can we be good enough? How can we be religious enough? What do we have to do to earn our way to God? The problem with religion is, when, do you, when have you done enough? How do you know for sure that you've actually done enough that the, the scale's gonna tilt in that direction? And religion is, 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 is kind of useless because you never know. Christianity is not religion. See, religion is, all about, religion is all about advice. Here's what you need to do. But Christianity is not advice, it's news. It's news. It's, it's, not, it's not about how you work your way to, to God. It's about how God and his love and mercy and grace has worked his way to you. In the person of Jesus Christ and gives you life as a gift. You see, Jesus, Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose from the dead. If he rose from the dead, that means he, he's conquered death, which means he owns life, which means he can give it to whoever he wants. And, and Jesus is willing to give life to you and me as we trust him for the forgiveness of our sins and make him the savior of our lives. So, so Shiva and David are talking to his dad and, and what do you know, the 20th time was the charm. His father, his 81-year-old Hindu priest dad comes to Jesus. And so Shiva's telling me this in Minneapolis and, and I, you know, I'm kind of a skeptic. I'm kind of always asking, you know, okay, are we sure? Because I said, Shiva, are you sure it was real? Because it was, could it be possible that your dad was being just polite and you know, doing the cultural thing? And he says, he says, you know, I thought the same thing. He said, but he said, but dad and I talked last week and he said, son, I want you to know I've given up all my idols and your mother now believes in Jesus too. He led his mom to Christ. I mean, can you, can you believe that? I mean, God is working. Pe people want to know Jesus. Your neighbors, they want to know Jesus. I promise you, they need Jesus. Whatever their issue is, Jesus is the answer. Jesus changes everything. 
Your coworkers, you know, they, they need Jesus. Now, Clark, you're here in the church. I hope your coworkers already know Jesus. I'm, I'm hoping for that. So, but they need Jesus. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your relatives, your friends, your schoolmates, they need Jesus. Jesus is, Jesus is the answer. He really, he really is. So here they are. They're, they're, they're trying to bring Jesus. People want to know Jesus. And now we meet the team. It says this in verse 3. It says, and they came, bringing to him, bringing to Jesus, a paralytic carried by four men. Now, here's what we know about this group. Who, who are they? What do we know about them? Not much. We know there's at least five of them. There's one of them being carried by four of them. If my math is right, it's five of them. At least five of them, okay? And, they're carrying, and the fifth one is a paralytic. We do not know what happened to this guy. We don't know if this is from birth. We, we don't know if an accident recently happened. We, we don't know how bad it is. All we know in this story is this. His friends really love him. They really love him. And they'll do whatever they can for him. And can you imagine the conversation? Maybe one of the friends heard about Jesus somewhere, somehow, and goes back to, I'm just gonna call him Jim because I wanna give him a name, make him real to us. And he goes back and says, listen, Jim, I know we've tried everything. I, I know we, we tried, I know we, we tried different doctors. I know we tried different prayers. I know we tried different ceremonies. I know we tried different stuff, but I'm hearing about this Jesus and this Jesus can cast out demons. He has spiritual authority. This Jesus has touched lepers and they've been healed. And this Jesus has healed other people. And this Jesus speaks like no person we've ever heard speaks. I think this Jesus is different. I think he might be able to help you. So would you trust us? Would you just trust us? Would you let us bring you to Jesus? This team has one dream, and it's this. We gotta get them to Jesus, because Jesus changes everything. If we get them to Jesus, Jesus will figure out what to do. Have you ever been in a situation where your friend is all messed up, you're not sure what to do? And you think, well, I, I can't talk to my friend about Jesus because I'm not sure exactly how to, how to angle that and how to say it in a way that makes sense. Or, or maybe you have a friend from a different religion and you're like, I, you know, I don't know how to fight that religion. I don't know how to argue against that religion. And so I can't talk to them about Jesus because they may say something. I may not have the answer and I don't know and I don't, I don't look embarrassed. You know? okay. By the way, uh, you know what you say when you don't know? You say, I don't know, but I'll find out. You know, it's, just, it's that simple. So you, but have you ever just been squelched in sharing your faith or inviting someone because you're afraid you don't have the answer to the whatever question, oh, it's, it's, or it's just me? Because you have, it, it, listen, it's not your job to have all the answers. You're not a salesperson. A, a salesperson has the pitch. A salesperson has an angle. A salesperson is trying to sell a product. You're not a salesperson, you're a witness. You're a witness. A salesperson has an angle and a pitch. A witness just says, I don't know, but here's what I saw. I don't know, but here's what I experienced. I don't know how it happened, but God changed my life and he can change your life too. Won't you go with me? All his friends wanna do is get him to Jesus. One team, one dream, and there's a moment in time. Here's the moment in time. It says this next, and when they could not get near Jesus because of the crowd. And so they get to this place and they, they can't get near Jesus. They get to the house, they're carrying their friend, and the house is packed, and there's people around the house just trying to listen in to the doors and windows, just trying to figure out and hear, the, hear Jesus talk for a little bit. And they're like, okay, there is absolutely no way. What, what do you do when it looks like your dream has died? What do you do when the obstacle ahead of you is so strong, so big, so ominous, that you're saying, okay, I don't think we can do this. The measure of any team is what it takes to discourage them from actually following after the dream anymore. 
And it happens in churches all the time. When it gets difficult, very often they just, they, they become a people of fear instead of a people of faith. They, they relinquish their dream of their friend coming to Christ or their town being changed or missionaries being sent out or churches being planted or people coming to Christ. They, they, they give up those kind of things. I know it happened in our church. We were, it's 2001, and we were 13 years in rented facilities. I understand you guys were at 16 years in rented facilities. You, you guys have us beat. We were at a, at a movie theater, and then a high school, and then a junior high. We had another building. Our motto as a church was, we're a great church if you can find us. So, so but we finally got some land. We were, we were building out. We broke ground on, the week, on Easter weekend of 2001. We were so excited because the next Sunday, Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, the picture of our groundbreaking was on the front page of the Arizona Republic newspaper. Five million people read that newspaper. And our church is on the front. It's like an invitation. I thought it was amazing. People did come to Easter service and stuff like that. It was, it was pretty exciting. But a couple weeks later, my building team came to me and said, we have a problem. Which means that you have a problem, Pastor. You know, we have a problem. Well, what kind of problem? They said a financial problem. I said, what kind of financial problem? They said a big financial problem. Turned out our building campaign, which was 1.2 million to build the building, they were off by $400,000. 33% off, that, that's, that's bad, just so you know. I mean, a church of 250 people, where do you come up with $400,000? And so we're like, so they say, well, pastor, you have to say something. Of course I do. I mean, we just had this moment, this great moment of groundbreaking. We've had this great moment of being on the Arizona public front page, and, and now a few weeks later, I'm saying, oops, you know, I know we broke ground, but we have to stop, and we can't do this anymore. I mean, it's, it's hard. And, and after 13 years, it just, it's just hard. But I get up there, and you know, God gives me the words to say, and I talk about that story of the feeding of the 5,000, where you know, Jesus does this unbelievable miracle, and everyone's thrilled and amazed, and the 12 baskets full come out. You know, it's, it's just a great moment. And I said, but right after that, you know what happens? Jesus sends the disciples into a boat. He makes them get into a boat. And if you know the end of that story, they're gonna, they're gonna row all night long. He's gonna send them, in a, in a sense, into a storm. They're just, it's just not gonna work. And I said, you know, it, it's not beyond Jesus to send you into a storm. And then they row all night long and they just don't get anywhere, you know. And I said, you know, it's not beyond Jesus to take you to the, to the end of yourself, to get, take you to the very brink where you're just not sure you can go on anymore. It's not beyond him. And in the story, what happens, they get to that point and he walks along in the water, which would be really cool to see. And he gets into the boat and all of a sudden they're on the other side. You know, it's not beyond Jesus to send you into a storm. It's not beyond him to take you to the brink of, of you know, your, yourself. But he never leaves you there alone. He never leaves you there. And people started, and a prayer meeting broke out in my church. Can you imagine people in church praying? A prayer meeting broke out in my church. It was amazing, it was great. And afterwards one of my elders came up to me, his name was David, he said, uh, I have this thought. I said, tell me, he said, well, you know how we've always said that the, the building is for the community? We decided that the building wasn't a destination, it was a tool. It was something that was gonna be used to reach the community, impact the community, and so it was, it was a tool. You know, building's for the community. By the way, at Valley Brook, that's why your leadership are making decisions about what parts to build and, and work out, because they, they're saying, which one's the best tool to help the community in this next season, to make the ministry advance? They're so wise in doing that. It's a tool. He said, well, he said, you know how you say the building's a, a tool for the community? It's, it's a, you know, building's for the community. I said, yeah. He said, well, the building's for the community, but I think the process is for us. I think God wants us to learn to trust him more. Okay, I received that. And we began to just trust God more and began to try to break through this barrier and trust God and all sorts of things. It was two years, two years later that we finally moved into the building, but God had done a work. We'd grown from 250 to 400 people in a rented facility. And then after that, we, we, we went into the building. The first week, we were 550. 
The second week we were 680, I'm sorry, 863 people. And within a year we were averaging 1,000 people on a weekend. And God was doing a great, great work among us because we didn't give up on the dream just because an obstacle came in front of us. Well, here's the obstacle in front of these guys that are just not sure what to do. And so here's what happens. And when they could not get near Jesus because of the crowd, everyone's around the house and they, they couldn't get close to him, they removed the roof above him. And when they had lay, made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So someone had this idea. Hey, I got an idea. I, I know what we should do. Let's rip a hole in the roof and let's drop a guy who's already a paralytic. Let's drop him down by ropes in front of Jesus. I mean, really? All I gotta say, teenagers must have been in charge here. Because adults would have said, well, okay, they're, they're probably, what about the lawsuit? What about the homeowners association? You know, we can't rip the roof. Who's gonna pay for that? But, you know, so teenagers, way to go. Way to think creatively. So they, they, that's exactly what they do. They're, they're dropping him down. They're not gonna let anything stop them from getting their friend to Jesus because they know that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus changes everything. In 2009, we were having a baptism service in my church and we had built a new building. We were very excited about it and, and we had gone through the 40 days of purpose. How many of you actually have been through that? 40 days of purpose and uh, read the Purpose Driven Life and it was great. We did it two times because you can actually do things more than once in a church and that's why sometimes you hear the same sermon from Clark. Uh, anyway, but uh, you, can do, you, can do two, you can do it twice because so, so, you weren't listening the first time, he thinks. So anyway, so, but, uh, but sorry, just I'll dig the hole deeper here. Uh, but uh, so we're doing it, and all we're asking this time, because last time we said, why don't you just run around the bases and do all that sort of stuff, and this time we just said, hey, what is the one step God wants you to take? What's the one step in your maturity with Jesus that you should, should take? So if it's coming into Christ, would you give your life to Christ? If it's being baptized, would that be your next step? Being in a small group, or serving somehow, or going on a mission trip, or praying with your spouse, or dating your kids, whatever the next step is, would you just be willing to take it? And to our great joy, 100 people said, I want to be baptized. We never baptized more than 80 people in a year. We were baptizing 100 people in a weekend. By the way, the water in Arizona is, is never solid. It just, you can always go through it. It's unlike Connecticut. So, but we're inside, we have an entire, so we're, we're, we're like this, we don't have a baptistry. What do we do? We have 50 people who want to be baptized uh, and the Saturday night service, and like, okay, how do you do 50 people in one service and keep it to, you know, a time? So, we had the idea of building two baptistries, one on this side and one on that side. And the idea was this, we'll baptize someone over here while someone over here is getting in the water, and then we'll baptize this person over here while this person is getting in the water, and we'll save a lot of time. You know, we got spirit, yes we do, we got spirit, how about you? It's gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. You know, so that's what we decided to do, and, and, and so we, we do that. And so the, the people are lined up, Chad speaking that night, the other pastor, and. And he gives a 20-minute talk, which was a miracle in itself. The Chad gave a 20-minute talk. And so he gave a 20-minute talk. And, and then he says, hey, line up for baptism. And 25 people go on that wall. And 25 people go on that wall. It's an amazing moment. And in that moment, there, there's something happening in the balcony. And all of a sudden, there's this rustling. And on, on, the, on the monitor in the front, it says there's a medical emergency in the balcony. And Jerry Robinson, age 51, father of four, whose daughter had just left for Nigeria to be a missionary with Converge, three days travel, Jerry had died of a massive heart attack in the service. His wife sitting right beside him, my wife sitting right beside her. He had, he had just spoken about the hope of heaven in the children's event that day. Come and take in communion and gone and be with the Lord. It took about 20 minutes for the medical team to figure out what was happening. They, the doctors were on him right away. 
We had a medical team, they were on right away, but the emergency crew came in, they, they took him away, and his wife went, and my wife went with them, and Chad's walking back up to the front, and one of the other pastors puts his arm around Chad and says, so what are you gonna do? And what would you do? And Chad walks back up front, and God gives him the words to say. He says, listen, uh, the medical emergency was uh, Jerry Robinson, one of our board of servant leaders, um, and they've taken him to the hospital. We're not sure what's gonna happen with that. Would you just pray for Je uh, Jerry and Deb and the family in this difficult time? And he said, you're, you're probably wondering what I'm gonna do. <laughs> and he said this, I've known Jerry for years. His kids grew up in my youth group at another church. Jerry lives for moments like this. He came here tonight to see people take their next step in following Jesus, and so I, I wanna honor God and honor Jerry in, in this moment, and so let's go ahead and do these baptisms. Remember, people are standing on the, they've been standing for 20 minutes. Let, let's go ahead and do the baptisms. Let's just do the music kinda, kinda quietly and just behind the scenes, and, and let's just see what, what happens. But let's, let's celebrate what God's doing in our lives. And so they baptize someone over here, and they baptize someone over here, and the music's playing in the background, and people start raising their hands in worship. And another one's baptized, another one's baptized, and they, both hands start to go up, and people start to sing out loud and worship God in the midst of this picture of life change. And after a while, everyone is standing in the room as more and more people are, are saying, I belong to Jesus, I belong to Jesus, and I want everyone to know it. And, and, and all of a sudden, the lines weren't getting shorter anymore. They were getting longer because people were saying, okay, I gotta follow Jesus. And they start getting out of line. They start walking on the line and they're, they're, they're being baptized. The next morning, we tell the story of Jerry and Deb, what's happening. We start saying this. You know what we learned from last night? That now is always the right time to follow Jesus. It's always the right time. We didn't baptize 100 people that weekend. We baptized 363, 64 people. Praise God. Now is always the right time. It's always the right time to follow Jesus. Now is always the time to break through those barriers that keep holding you back. You're not a people of fear, you're a people of faith. We've gotta trust, we've gotta trust God in what's happening. And so so that's, that's what we do. Here, here's what's happening here. So they're lowering him down. They're, they're lowering him down and they drop him before, before Jesus and you know, they're, they're dropping him down. Be careful, don't, don't tip him. You know, he's already paralytic. You know, just let's make sure. And, you know, and, and people inside are just, they're, you know, all of a sudden stuff's like, what is, what is that? And they look up and Jesus looks up because they've been hanging on every word and Jesus looks up and it says, he sees their faith and says to the paralytic, son, your, your sins are forgiven. What a moment, what a great moment. Your sins are forgiven. But all of a sudden there's a rumbling in the crowd and the Pharisees say, wait, 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 who can forgive sins but God alone? They're questioning who Jesus is. And, and I imagine, this is just my imagination, uh, up, the team up the top says, uh, Jesus, I hate to tell you this to you, but we didn't drop him down for you to forgive his sins. We dropped him down for you to help him to walk. You know, hello, <laughs> Jesus, the clue phone is ringing and it's ringing for you. You know, so that, that's the way they're thinking. You know, so, but Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, listen, which is harder to say to a paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and take your, take your bed and, and go home? I mean, the answer to a paralytic is, it's a whole lot easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no way to prove it or disprove it, right? But, but if he, he can actually make him walk, it shows he has authority. So he says, just so you know that I have the authority to forgive sins on earth, he said to the paralytic, get up, take your bed and walk out of here. And it says the man rose and walked out in front of everyone. And everyone was amazed. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. So I don't care 
what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how long you've been gone. I don't care how deep the hole you've dug has gotten. Jesus is bigger than that. And he can reach you wherever you are. Listen, Jesus is not mad at you. He's mad about you. And he loves you. And he wants you to experience life in him. Listen, he conquered death. He owns life. And he can get to it whoever he pleases. He can forgive your sin no matter how big it is because he's a bigger savior than anything you've ever, ever thought of even doing. Aren't you glad? It's an amazing moment. And so he, he, walks, he walks out in front of everyone. He walks out and, and who is this? And, and they're marveling. Listen, the world needs something to marvel at these days, doesn't it? I mean, are, are we all marveling at what's happening with the elections? Is that marveling? You know, is that marvelous? No, the answer is no, you know. Are we marveling at the decisions that are made around our country? The, are, the, are we marveling at the conversations? No, no, it's a hard time in our nation. And what we need more than anything is Jesus because Jesus changes everything. That's what we need. Our, our world needs to know Jesus. Granby needs to know Jesus. Connecticut needs to know Jesus. Massachusetts needs to know Jesus. We all, Jesus is the answer. Your neighbors, your coworkers, relatives, friends, they need to know Jesus. Your classmates need to know Jesus. Jesus is the, is the answer. I'll tell you one more story, then we'll get out of here. A number of years ago, I was the youth pastor at my church in Arizona, and I had this kid in my youth group. His name was Steve Kovac. Uh, Steve was unusual at best. Uh, Steve was weird, okay? Uh, Steve came up to me one time and said, Scott, I got a question for you. I said, okay, Steve, go ahead. He said, what do you think it'd be like to live inside of a brick? I'm like, what? What do you think it'd be like, like to live inside of a brick? He was serious. I thought, crowded? He said, yeah, that's what I thought. He just walked off. I mean, who, who does that? So, so he comes to me at summer camp, and he's looking at me, and he says, hey, I got this idea. I'm like, great, you know? He, he says, well, you know Taylor. I said, of course I know Taylor. He said, well, Taylor doesn't know Jesus. I said, I know. That's why I'm so excited. He's at summer camp. He said, well, I got this idea. Okay, Steve, bring it on. He says, well, all the guys in the, in the cabin, we are, we're going to go on a hike tonight. I'm wearing my camos. We're going to crawl across the ground like we're military. It's going to be awesome. I said, keep going. Keep going. He says, well, we're going to go back to the cabin, and we're all going to share our testimony with Taylor and ask him to come to know Jesus. What do you think? I said, well, I love the whole plan except the camo and crawling thing. He says, so I can do it? I said, yeah, you can, you can do it. Awesome. So he runs off. And so that night we finish all our stuff and, and we're at the, at the bonfire in this amphitheater. It's outside. It's beautiful. There's a little small brick uh, wall at the top. And, and so I look back there and sure enough, there's Steve crawling on the ground with six guys walking behind him. <laughs> and so I pray for Steve. And I pray for Taylor, and um, you know, God do something in Taylor's life. An hour goes by, I don't hear anything, it's time to go back to our dorms. The girls' cabins are on this side of the camp, and the guys' cabins are on this side, because we have blue cabins, we have red cabins, no purple cabins. So, um, so I'm taking the girls back, and I'm a guy of order and stuff like that, I'm taking them back, and all of a sudden I hear this at the top of the amphitheater up here, Steve Kovac gets up and says, he did it, he did it! And Taylor jumps up and goes, yeah! And all of a sudden, this group of girls that I have total control over, I don't have control over anymore. All of a sudden, they're like, ah! Stampede, like slow motion, running over the benches, getting up to the top of the wall. They take Taylor down. I mean, they're piling on top of him, hugging and kissing him, these cute little cheerleader girls, and Taylor's loving it. You know, he's just, he just loving it. And so we celebrate for a little bit. I'm like, cookie girls, I gotta get you back because I'm Mr. Order, you know, let's get, get them back. So I'm walking back. Well, word gets out of camp and then all of a sudden another gr group of girls hear about it. Ah! 
you, Stampede! Taylor goes down, hugging, kissing, loving it, you know. Three times this happens. And after three times, you realize, I'm not in charge. I'm not in control. So now all I'm doing is just trying to count the number of girls. Do we have all the girls in the pile? You know, are they all there? And I'm counting, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, one of them's missing. I'm looking around, and back over here is little Lynn Norton. Uh, Lynn Norton was the cleanest girl you'd ever met in your life. Never broke a nail, never got dirty, you know, wouldn't touch anything. If, yeah, if you're that person, what's wrong with that? Yeah, so, uh, but, so I'm looking, and she's, she's rolling in the dirt, sobbing uncontrollably. So I go over to her and say, sweetie, are you okay? She says, you don't understand. I'm like, of course I don't. I'm an adult. You're a teenager. But let's try here, you know? So <laughs> I don't understand. She says, Taylor, we've been praying for him like two years. Translated, eternity, okay? But <laughs> two years. And now I know she's <laughs> She just loses control. So I pick her up and I throw her on the pile. That group of kids, they got it. They would do anything to get their friends to Jesus. Anything. Some joined the football team to reach football players. Some became cheerleaders to reach cheerleaders. Some, one of them joined the chess club. Don't mean to offend you, but come on, man. You know, so, but to reach chess people, whatever that means, you know, so thinkers, you know, and, uh, by the time they were seniors in high school, our church was about 400 people. 160 of them were high school kids. Because these kids got it. They would do anything. Now one of them is actually an elder at my old church and she, he's married to a guy who runs the, the, the missions ministry and, and three of them are youth pastors and worship pastors and a lot of them, are, they're just ordinary people who go to work or homemakers or whatever every day, but they're trying to reach their neighbors and their coworkers and relatives and friends with the gospel of Jesus. And God's still doing amazing things. Listen, do not be outdone by a 13-year-old. The same Holy Spirit that was in them in 1995 is in you today. The same calling they had back then is our calling today. We help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. We love God, we love people, and we, and we make change in the world. We change the world. That's why you're here. That's why we, why we gather. Don't let anything get in your way. That neighbor needs to know Jesus. That coworker, your, your relative, your friend, your classmate, they need to know Jesus. You should have received, or maybe you, you can get one of these cards. It's an invitation. And next week, you're starting a new season here at Valley Brook where we're saying, you know what? We've got room. We've got room. As long as there's empty, empty places, we've got room. There's always room for one more, right? And would you be so bold as to say, okay, what is it gonna take to reach my friend? What's it gonna take to reach my coworker? What obstacle are you trusting God to overcome to, to get there? It may take you a while. It's okay. Well, you let God put some people in your mind and your heart. Do, do this. Go back to your texting. Look through your text this last week and say, do they know Jesus? Do they know Jesus? Do they know Jesus? And just let God put that in your heart. Or look across the room in your, in your office. Who are the people in this, this cubicle? Do they know Jesus? How about your neighbors beside you, in front of you, across the street? Do they know Jesus? And if not, you don't have to have it all figured out. You just be a witness. Hey, come see the thing that's changed my life. I haven't figured it out. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar what to find bread. But would you, would you come with me? And let Jesus, do, let Jesus do the work. The world needs something to marvel at. And Jesus changes everything. Will you pray with me?
Father in heaven, thank you that you've given us this opportunity, this privilege of helping people meet and know and follow Jesus. Thank you that Jesus changes everything. Thank you that, that Jesus changes the world and if we say yes to him, he'll change our life too. Thank, thank you that we know that everyone lives forever somewhere and you've placed us around our family, around our neighbors, in our, with our coworkers, with our friends. You've placed us in our, our schools on purpose to be a witness for you. God, give us the courage to reach out and say, hey, I don't have it all figured out. I'm still on the journey myself, but under this one thing, Jesus changed my life, and I believe he can change yours too. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. It's our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information about Valleybrook Community Church, please visit our website at valleybrook.cc.